Wholeness is this concept we need to understand better. From the whole, we get solutions from unexpected places. And wholeness invites us to open to a bigger story, even when we're certain that our story is complete. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. And today's guest uh, is Sky Nelson Isaacs. He is an author and physics educator, building a foundation for a scientific understanding of synchronicity in our modern world. And I must say that Sky's combination of scientific proof mathematics and spirituality uh, brought me again and again in this interview to a place of, you know, sort of that peeking into uh, higher consciousness. It was just delightful. Anyway, he has a master's degree in physics from San Francisco State University and has had careers in education, in the software industry, and in music, and has spent the past 20 years studying synchronicity, with the last 12 years publishing academic papers on it. Sky was raised amidst the teachings of integral yoga creator Sri Sami, uh, Swami Satyananda, through which he developed a modern, no BS perspective on spiritual inquiry, which has guided his scientific pursuits. Sky has always been passionate about personal and professional development, training with the Pathways Institute uh, as a young adult, adult and la years later with the More to Life program. Sky relies on a mix of modality, science, and self-inquiry to learn from life. Sky is a parent, a husband, an author, a speaker, a trainer, as well as physicist, educator, musician, award-winning composer, and performer, and software engineer. So enjoy. Hi, Sky. Thank you for joining me on What Could Possibly Go Right. Um, hey, Vicky. Hi. Uh, so... Uh, you're a physicist and a musician, and you think deeply about synchronicities, the unexpected guests who can bust in the door and uh, take <laughs> you away from normal um, uh, to a different destiny. Um, and it's sort of like the um, I grew up on I sort of came of age with Kurt Vonnegut, you know, and it's mm -hmm. that phrase peculiar travel suggestions or dancing lessons from God. Did you ever hear that one? <laughs> no, but that's <laughs> oh, great. Man, there's like a lot that. of us who just like, whoop. That's, that was my life. That sort of has influenced, that influenced me a lot about paying attention to not just, you know, my intentions, but the, the sort of like little sparks of things that are happening between the things that I should happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've, um, I've, your ideas make a lot of sense to me. You say synchronicity doesn't fix our problems. Often it can put us in situations that help us learn along the journey when an obstacle occurs, we look to the synchronicities around us for clues, and this can help us to stay open to the unexpected. And so in terms of what could possibly go right, I, I wonder if there's like a sunny American optimism built into these assumptions that if you go with the flow, you will end up somewhere better. And right now we're in such cross currents, you know, yes, and, right, and, right. and and resisting the flow is how is like increasing in more and more people because uh, the flow seems to be going somewhere that is frightening. And so it's like a double, triple challenge to, <laughs> to embrace the idea that, of synchronicities in a time when 
the outside world um, seems to be becoming ever more unpredictable. Um, well, let me frame it in yeah. terms of, in terms okay. of a different concept, which is wholeness. And this is, this is a more broad concept that I think synchronicities come out of. This notion of wholeness. In my research, I published a paper this past year on wholeness in, in physics. And it's an important concept because it's looking at, you know, in physics, we can look at space and time as a whole. We realize that quantum mechanics itself is a theory that describes systems as a whole, not breaking them down into reducing their parts, but that there's something to the whole path of a particle, there's something to the whole system of education, there's something to the whole um, person. You know, you can look at these different ways in which wholeness shows up in our world and see some, some similarities. There's something to the whole system that cannot be broken up into its parts and understood. And the, the, the ecology is like that. We, we all know that ecology is a vastly complex, interconnected ecosystem and the human ecology as well. So wholeness um, is, this, is this concept we need to understand better. And what I love about it is it's different for everybody. We're all seeking wholeness in some way. We're all seeking to enhance the opportunities that we have in life, to, to express ourselves to our utmost potential, to um, have equal access to information. It can show up in lots of different ways. Restorative justice is a form of wholeness because you're bringing people back into community together and integrating them in conversation, in healing. So healing comes out of this. And, and I think that's what we're seeking right now in this, in this time is greater sense of wholeness. And obviously the polarization that we have is the opposite of that. And from the whole, we get solutions from unexpected places. And that's how this connects to synchronicity, right? Mm -hmm. If we're looking at our particular narrow view of how we're going to solve a problem, let's say it's carbon capture. I have a view that carbon capture is the whole thing, right? It's, a, it's applicable. We can do it now. It's uh, all those parts, parts are in place. You just implement them. But that is um, what I would call a partial story. It's not capturing the whole story. And so it really lies on, on each of us to be open to a bigger story and to try and create that or allow for that. When we, when we talk with other people, we gain more information about, you know, what are the limitations of carbon capture and what happens, uh, you know, how does that reinforce the current structure of, um, of exploitation, you know, just allow people to keep polluting versus actually trying a different strategy. So these, these, these partial stories are really the, what's going on in, in our narrative right now. And wholeness invites us to open to a bigger story, even when we're certain that our story is complete. Yeah. I, or maybe you suspect your story isn't complete, but it certainly is the right one, right? Yeah. It feels right. You know, it, it, we all feel that, right? It feels like I've got the right answer here. Yeah. Um, so I, I love how you're saying this because um, one of the things that's, troubling me and 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 captivating me at the same time is this polarization mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like this it's gone to a level of mirroring like i'm rubber you're glue anything you say bounces off mm -hmm. of me and sticks <laughs> to you it's really like that kid game it's like yeah. how they, everything i need to know i learned in kindergarten what <laughs> everything i need to know i learned in kindergarten right exactly <laughs> but it's this, this sense that that we're really breaking apart almost into two parallel universes that both are self-referential mm -hmm. you know like there's like it's almost like there's two wholenesses mm -hmm. like forming in the field of possibility you know, and it's not a coherent 
right. wholeness. So um, I would like to get down to cases here. So like in terms of this, these two parallel universes that seem to be vying for the story, you know, there's two stories vying to be the one story that we all yeah. know. What do you see, you know, like the question, what could possibly go right in this context? What do you see emerging that is, it's almost like the wholeness trying to magnetize the, the parts back into itself. Right. I mean, right. not by force, but just tell us what you see because and I, mean, well, so I, I want to be practical. I don't want to be theoretical. I want to be like, because we really want people want to like, I want to know what to cooperate with. I do not want to hide out in my house on a zoom call. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> How do I get engaged in ways that. Yeah. That, um, whether it's that, thinking that or talking. Unravel the tension in, in new totally. ways. Yeah. So there's, there's a question that I pose, which is kind of a theoretical question, but I'll, I'll turn it into practicality. And it's this, we, we tend to approach the world in our, in our Western biblical traditions, in our science tradition, it's all the same question, which is how do I create something out of nothing? And when you, when you start with a question like that, and you just take it for granted that that's what you're trying to answer, you know, how does climate change evolve, come from this question? How do I create something out of nothing? It's a direct result of that question because we have to heat our homes. So how do we create heat? Well, we, we go to the fossil fuels or we go to some other source. I've got to create a solution. It's kind of like the core of the colonial mindset is how do I create something from nothing? I assume some people have nothing. I've got to give them something. But what I try and do is pull back from that question and understand what other questions could there be that are, that are actually the opposite of that. And the question that actually comes out of the science of quantum theory is this other question. How do I create something from everything? How do I start from a different starting point where you know, in the model of quantum theory, that the main image that comes out of it is a branching tree. And mm -hmm. you think of this as a multiverse, which is just a simple concept that every choice you make, there's a different branch of the tree. And that tree represents all the possibilities, a complete set of possibilities. And so there's a wholeness there. And when we make choices in the world, it's depending on how seriously you take this model for, you know, everyday people, but it still helps us see that each choice leads to certain branches. You know, if I make a choice to, um, you know, vote that leads to branches where my vote is counted. And if I make a choice not to vote, that leads to other branches. And you can start to see these, the connection between the choices we make right now and what kinds of outcomes are possible with those choices. So let me give an example of this. Uh, and this is like a negative synchronicity, because I think it's really important to see that uh, this is a neutral process. You know, if, we, if it's even a scientific process, I try and show that to be the case, but we can just look at the types of opportunities that show up in our lives. And this past weekend, I've, I've been getting involved with universal basic income and trying to learn about the topic and speaking about it in groups and um, educating myself and, and forming discussion groups. And suddenly somebody just a week into that discussion uh, suggested that there's a, a protest going on or a rally happening in, you know, about an hour from my house this past weekend. And I thought, well, that's great, right? Good timing. So this opportunity comes to go to this rally. But I was really busy that week and I didn't actually plan it out very well. So the, the day of the rally comes and I'm excited to go, but I have this other obligation and I have my daughter to take care of and all things being equal. I ended up getting stuck in traffic and arriving an hour late. Well, it turns out I realized on the way down there that Andrew Yang was at the rally 
the former presidential candidate. Right. Really amazing opportunity to meet this really important, incredible person. And even though the rally was one, from one to four, all the speakers were, were in the first hour. So because I sort of navigated that situation in sort of a lackadaisical way without a, without a clear intention, without you know managing my time very well, I ended up missing out on this great opportunity that I didn't even realize was showing up. So I, I look at that and I say, you know, how often are these opportunities for advancement showing up in our lives? And are we able to see them through the noise and take advantage of them? And I think it takes a certain mindset of openness and receptivity to do that. So I want to, yeah, I, it's always so easy. It's almost like the English language almost forces us to speak and, 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 you know, American society with our individualism, it forces us to speak in examples of, (laughs) of, of sort of an individual advancing through the viscosity of whatever this is that we live in and (laughs) your choices, making the viscosity move. And then, you know, so it always feels when we talk about this, like our little boats, it can very easily go into this sort of self-improvement category, mm-hmm. you know, like how can I dominate some situation? Mm-hmm. But I think what you said, it was just really sparked me. Like how do we not create from nothing, but create from everything. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it is almost physical when I think about that, because if, because, because really what you're saying is how do I, it's almost like a statement of social responsibility. Mm-hmm. How do I guide my little boat through the viscosity in the awareness of all the other little boats, not navigating them when they come into view, but somehow or another, you know, saying, okay, if, if my life is going to turn out, the possibilities for yes. everybody and everything somehow or another, without going crazy, you're trying to be a saint somehow or another. I'm, I'm creating in a context of other creators and, and they're so just boiling it down to polarization. Mm-hmm. I cannot address I Vicky or I representative of well-meaning person cannot address polarization (laughs) without in some way embodying that whatever happens turns out for the people that I'm in polar opposite to. How do I create from that? Do you, do you see, feel like where I'm heading? So so I, I, I think the idea, the analogy of carving is good because when you carve a, a statue, you start with a whole, all, all the statues in there, right? It's hidden inside the material. And this is a garden is kind of a similar thing. You start with, you have a garden that you've grown from whatever you started with, but now it's in full bloom. Your job is not <clears throat> to go in and plant new plants. Your job is to weed out what you don't want. And so it's like looking at life experience and the world that we live in as this constantly growing field that our job is to pick and choose carefully. We don't have to go out there and say, you know, here's the right answer and I'm going to implement it. It's more that that's again, that's coming back to more of a control, dominate and control mindset um, instead. And that's, that's true when we're in polarization, where we're having, having a conversation and I have to convince you of my perspective. That's, that's this dominate and control mindset versus 
all the possibilities for how this conversation could go are there. And I don't have to convince you of my perspective in order to get what I need out of the situ out of the conversation. Um, what can I, how can I approach this situation to learn from you and, and actually desire to be changed in, changed in my perspective. That's kind of an expansive view. So it's like carving away the sculpture and revealing something that you didn't even know was there, but it was, it was within that sculpture the whole time. I think, I think, um, I think many people in our society may be way outside that model because the level of curiosity about the yeah. other point of view and like being able to stay in curiosity and not, not, not um, collapse into the polarization. Yeah. It's almost like the polarization is like a black hole. So, I mean, I, I want to just ask you, like, do you see, where do you see in the melee of all that's happening right now, where do you see possibilities that are rising, whether it's examples, stories, well, I, the news. I, yeah, what, see, what, what's coming together? I see that you know, what we can really do right now is hone and identify what are the real sticking points. So I don't think we're in a position to really solve climate change. I don't mm -hmm. think we're being the kind of people that can do that when we are continuing to um, reinforce systemic structures of racism, when we're continuing to reinforce um, systems of education that do not entice us to be whole people. Our systems of education entice us to focus and narrow our perspective and limit what we can see in order to, to become a good employee, employee and make money in the system. Our systems of justice, you know, focus on separating out certain people who, uh, who break the social contract and not integrating those people back into our society and not learning from them, and not treating them as whole human beings. So we have these systems that entice us not towards wholeness, but towards separateness. And I think that we are all part of that. So uh, especially, you know, there's, there's a tendency to think that we're right. And I come from a certain part of the country where we have a very specific view. And I, I grew up with that view and I align with that view. And I also see that that cannot be the whole picture, that there is a, a wider view. People I talk to in other parts of the country that have a different perspective. And that is part of the whole. And if I don't understand how it's part of the whole, that's really on me. So I think that the conversations we need to have need to go a level deeper, not just what's your opinion, but why do you have that opinion? What stories are bringing you to that opinion? Or do you work in an industry that's going to be threatened by climate uh, legislation? It's really understandable that there's a different dialogue that has to happen in order to make sure that, that you are safe and that you feel safe in that transition to a <clears throat> sustainable environment. So these are the conversations that get lost at the national level when we're talking about policy and we're just advocating our point of view and we're trained to do that, just advocate, advocate, advocate. But there's really a healing level conversation that, it, that has to happen among the people. And I don't think it's politicians that are really at fault here. The politicians are the proxies of the people who disagree with each other and are coming from these different stories. And we need to be able to tell a broader story. And that, re that requires a listening in a way that we're not really comfortable with and you know, being willing to really change our views when we hear each other. Mm -hmm. And do you see that happening anywhere? Well, that's a good question. Yes, I do. 
I do see that happening. Um, I think what's really difficult about it is how personal it is. I mean, I, I can talk about people in my family or people that are my friends who I have a tough time talking with, even though we agree on the specifics. When we disagree, it's very difficult to have that conversation because we have a legacy of taking things personally, of feeling like we're being attacked. And, we, and so if, if my point of view might be partially not correct and I've hang, hung my hook um, on my hat on that point of view for a long time, it can be very difficult to see why somebody would disagree. Very, very difficult. And it requires uh, a deconstruction of our framework. And I think that's what's so challenging about something like systemic racism. I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who don't see the racism that exists just in the systems. And they go to a different place where they're taking it personally and saying, I'm not a racist, but actually we all live in a system that is designed to limit housing opportunities for people of color and to um, make it easier or more likely to be pulled over by the police if you're a person of color. These are just the ways the system is designed. And it can be very difficult to see that if you're not um, open to re re reconstructing your own view of the world. But I do see this happening. I see people, you know, especially in young people, I'm very uh, connected or optimistic about young people. They're, they're a little frustrated, I think, with the older generation that thinks they know how it is. This is, this is, the, the, this is what's going to work. We got to deal with climate change or we got to deal with uh, taxes code or whatever. Um, but the younger people, I think, have a really more connected emotional awareness perspective on how to, how to relate to each other first. I think relating to each other comes first and solving the problems hopefully comes out of that. Hmm. Yeah, I agree on younger people. And I'm thinking about so many people, um, whether it's family or your close friend circle. Um, I talk to so many people who are stymied because they are um, you know, in different universes with the people that they are closest to. Mm -hmm. And there's almost like a choice. Like I, I, I'm going to either rupture the relationship or I'm going to have to get sucked into their black hole. You know, it's like being able to stay. It's, it's very hard for folks right now. Yeah. Um, but it's almost like what you're saying is, is if the conversations are not about who's right or wrong, but how do we stay a family, even though we see things differently, that may be a little piece of the shift that, that you see is going on. Well, I think there's another piece to it. There's people becoming vulnerable about what's motivating them. Mm. Why do I feel strongly that this particular solution is right? Or why do I feel strongly that there's no such thing as racism today that affects people or why do I feel strongly about these, these positions? And if we don't address why we feel strongly about it, um, you know, that's a misdirection. We can't ever do, I think, I think there's no way forward without healing and healing requires vulnerability. So we, we do have to have those conversations and they're very, can be very eruptive if, if people are unwilling to look a little bit closer inside at their own patterns. So that, that's where I focus is, you know, what are the patterns that I'm carrying? What are the filters? When we talk about wholeness, I'm going to come back to that. What, what should, you know, wholeness is hard to define. It's different for each of us. But what we can define are the filters, the thoughts and feelings and body sensations that we have, which create the story that we have. 
It could be from our childhood. It could be, you know, how I interpret what you say to me. These are the filters that are driving everything we talk about. And if we can start to identify those filters, we can have a little more space to have the conversations we need to have. Mm, and that's a lovely way to say it. It's sort of like co- filters are like cognitive mistakes. They're mm-hmm. sort of, you know, they're just cognitive errors as in, you know, ways that, that we choose from, you know, because of the language, because of where we were born, because of our gender, because of what all these conditions, we choose filters that allow us to cope with reality. And you can, when you think about it that way, there's so much less blame involved. It's yeah. like you become curious about your own filters or curious about somebody else's filters. You're not talking about their person. They're not ta- you're not talking about their social circles. You're not talking about things that are important to their dignity. Right. You're talking yeah. about how, how did we get to be the way we are? Yeah. And, and everyone is there. We're all in that together. So if, if I, if someone comes to me and they point out or call me out on being um, wasteful on, you know, throwing out my garbage in the wrong container, let's just pick a simple example. Right. Um, and I feel like they're attacking me. Right. Then it might not be a good conversation. Right. Cause I'm going to come back at them and they're going to feel like, Oh, I should never point that out again. So now I can't go telling people when they are doing things, you know, that need to change. We, we need to be able to have those conversations. And mm-hmm. if the reason I react to your criticism of me is because that's the way that I react, respond when anybody criticizes me from my childhood, because I was actually attacked in my childhood in that way, then that's my pattern that's interpreting, like you said, it's a misinterpretation of what's really happening. You know, criticism is often, as adults, it's often an invitation to, more, to deeper connection. Somebody is actually making themselves vulnerable by sharing what they have to share with us. And if we get defensive, we miss out on that opportunity for connection. Mm-hmm. But if we can open, when we feel shame, if we can redirect our, our attention to openness, mm-hmm. that allows for connection. And I think that's, that's what we're trying to do is redirect from these negative emotions into vulnerable connection. You know, I think I, I share your, your point of view. I mean, right after 9-11, some friends and I started something called Conversation Cafes, trying mm-hmm. to like, you know, have people in conversation across all those differences that were, that, that exploded into 9-11. Yeah. But it's, it's, I, I just, you know, it's like I have spent my adult life in a sense of urgency because I've listened to the data, not just about climate, but, but, you know, justice resources, you know, I've been listening mm-hmm. to the data for like 30, 40 years. So I have a sense of urgency. So, and now the urgency, it, you know, it's now big, a lot yeah. more people are infected with the urgency that I have felt <laughs> for 50 years or whatever, right. however long. But, but as you say, what's bubbling up is the unhealed places in us. Right. There, you know, like as, as things polarize, as they get more urgent, we grab harder onto those little, you know, sticks from the Titanic that we're floating <laughs> on. You know? And so there's urgency. And yet the, in that urgency, the urgency is we have to heal. We can't, yeah. we can't s- solve this without healing, but healing takes so much. It seems to take time because it, well, it, you know what I mean? It's like it so does, tough, but maybe. the wholeness perspective. 
So this is why I think it's really useful to have a scientific model or a scientific, um, scientific framework of wholeness, because there are systems in the world that can illustrate this for us and give us a sense of what we're doing inside. So like uh, one of the examples I, I use is if you take a digital photograph and everybody has done this at some point with their, especially if they're a graphic designer, you take a photograph and you, you want to modify it. You know, sometimes, do you know the zoom setting where there's like a, a blurry background? Yeah, exactly. So how do you get the whole background blurry? Well, you, you do a modification by converting it to a different format, which is the frequency domain representation. It's just using a thing called a Fourier transform it happens all the time. And in that other format, the modifications you make, they change the entire picture. So if I want to make a picture blurry, I remove all the high frequency information, all the quickly changing pixels. And what that does is it blurs out, it spreads out all the, all the data. And when I convert it back to the spatial representation, you get a blurry image as a whole. So this is really important. You've, you've changed the picture in a very local specific way. And you've changed in the, with the actual end result as a whole. And is it possible that there are systems, there are ways that we can change as humans on the inside, which are very simple like becoming more patient or becoming more able to sit with negative emotions like shame and redirect our attention away from defensiveness and towards receptivity and see that that actually changes everything on the outside. It changes our work life. It changes our, our home life with our spouse. It changes our parenting because this new tool that we have affects all parts of our lives in this holistic way. So this, this model of holism and, and the, the filters that give, that we experience from the whole, I think provides a, I think a tangible framework that is more accessible than just this idea that I got to go take a workshop and become, you know, deeply emotional and, you know, all this stuff. It's a cognitive framework <laughs> that we can understand how change works in humans. Right. At varying levels of scale, just being a little bit more patient in a small circumstance sort of like creates a little field of patience in your, you know, and then you can be a little more patient in something else that would have pissed you off and, and on it goes. It's, um, and it doesn't take any jargon to do that. I mean, patience is, patience is a universal virtue. It really is, you know? Yeah. I think it's a well, cross-cultural virtue. And, and there's sort of a central conclusion I would draw from this. How much are we able to sit with insecurity and uncertainty? These are very uncomfortable feelings, but that's what happens when we open up to a bigger story. If I sit with you and you have a different view from me and I want to understand and expand my view, I have to sit with insecurity and uncertainty. And, but we don't do that in policies in the U S you know, we, we focus on certainty and clarity goals. So just the ability to sit more with the uncertainty uh, of what it, what it means to communicate with someone who's different from us and sit with the insecurity of that um, allows us to expand our stories and create a bigger whole from all the parts that come together. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sentence is a wrap. I just, I could actually go on and on with you uh, exploring this. There's so many branches from my own life and my own observations that link with your branches, <laughs> this yeah. beautiful branching conversation. But for now, in kindness to our listeners, let's call <laughs> it a beautiful a whole. whole of wholeness. Yes. 
And thank you so much, so, so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. And I love your show. Thanks for making it happen. You're so welcome. My pleasure too. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. <laughs>